0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Dialogue Out Loud. I'm Taylor Petrie, editor of Dialogue, A Journal of Mormon Thought. Today we're excited to have with us Bonnie Young, who holds a bachelor's degree in history with an emphasis in Mormon women's history and a master's degree in marriage and family therapy from BYU. Bonnie is pursuing a PhD in marriage and family therapy at Utah State University. In her fascinating article, My Indignation Has Got the Better of Me, a case study in Latter-day Saint and Gentile female family correspondence in 19th century America, she explores the lives of three sisters in the 19th century. Bonnie, welcome. It's so nice to talk to you about your work.
1: Thank you. I feel really grateful to be here, Taylor.
0: So first of all, tell us about these three sisters that you study. Who are they and, and what do we know about them?
1: Okay, So, yes, like you mentioned in the introduction, um, we've got Martha Tell Cannon, who was married to George Q. Cannon. um, And she is the younger half-sister of Sarah Tell King and Tabitha Tell Sykes. And um, the, the uniting parent of these sisters is... Um, Josiah Tell. and uh, his with his first wife, um, Josiah um, had Sarah and Tabitha. With that first wife, um, the family moved to Nauvoo. There, Josiah's first wife, whose name was actually also Tabitha, um, died of malaria. So then Josiah remarries um, and has Martha. And at the age of like eighteen months, so when Martha was just eighteen months, um, her mother tragically died. It was actually um like a quite bizarre story where the father Josiah, accidentally shot and killed his wife. Um, and so after the the death of the second wife, Josiah's second wife, the family split apart, and Martha moved with her. Um, Uncle and aunt, who were Latter-day Saints, and the two older sisters, um, Sarah and Tabitha, went with other relatives back to New York. So um, Martha really, you know, she ended up being very involved with the Latter-day Saint movement, even though she didn't follow the saints in their initial trek westward. Um, Her aunt and uncle were very religious. And Martha grew up knowing and really identifying as a Latter Day Saint, whereas her older sisters um, had a quite tragic experience with the Latter Day Saints—the death of their mother, the death of their of their stepmother—and um, although may have been, you know, somewhat, uh, you know, had interactions with Latter Day Saints, never truly identified. Were never baptized. Never considered themselves Latter Day Saints.
0: How much older were they than Martha?
1: Great question. Um, I believe like ten-ish years.
0: So not yeah. not quite teenagers, but you know, youngish and and uh, are, are old enough to sort of have some impressionable memories from from that era. Yeah,
1: yeah, old enough to where well, Sarah especially. I, I believe Sarah was about twelve when her mom died, so Sarah was really at this age of. You know she she knows what's going on especially as the oldest child um, Tabitha I believe was just a few years younger than Sarah so not quite as aware um, but had more of a memory than you know little 18 month year old Martha
0: at that time. and obviously for their father a set of tragedies that I'm sure emotionally scarred him as well he ends up giving up all three of his children as a consequence of these tragedies and sort of falls away from their lives completely uh, for, for at least a very long time, if I'm remembering correctly. Is that right?
1: Yeah, exactly. He, his story is is one of a tragedy. So um, it's, it's interesting. One of the reasons... So let me give you a little bit of background. So, right, the sisters split up. Um, they maintain some correspondence until Martha moves west, um you know very determined to be an independent woman she was a teacher she graduated from university before she moved west um but she was also really determined to marry into polygamy she had visited utah before and really believed like this is some this is something that will really benefit me this will really bless my life and i you know she also very much believed in the divinity of polygamy so this is something that she was really committed to but it wasn't until she actually married Polygamously to George Buchanan, that her sisters cut off correspondence, and whether, you know, the cutting of their correspondence was due to, you know, I, I, you know, I'm I'm not going to communicate with someone who's involved in this if they thought that maybe they could dissuade their sister from breaking off correspondence. We don't know exactly, but that's where correspondence ended for a very long time. Until later when um, the sisters reached out in one of the sisters started to reach out in reconciliation. So this is in the
0: 1870s. It's not only the the sort of low point for the Latter-day Saints in the American consciousness of all, all of the you know drama uh, around that, a kind of ma- major political campaigns that the Republican Party is engaged in against Mormonism. Lots of controversy. And of course, as you mentioned, Martha is married to maybe one of the most famous Latter-day Saints of the time, George Q. Cannon. Can you just tell us a little bit about who he was and, and why he was so famous in that period?
1: Yeah. You know, Taylor, you probably know a lot more th- about him than I do. Um, um, as my research is mostly just focused on these sisters. But from so so fill in the gaps for me, please. Um I, I very much consider myself a therapist more than a historian but he was um one of the counselors in the first presidency first or second counselor do you know uh I, at this particular time
0: I don't know but but in okay. yeah he's he's in the senior senior leadership he was up
1: there yeah. um and he was also in the government I believe he was uh, in the congress in um in Washington DC so um right? He was very much base of the church here in Utah, but also abroad. he was he did lots of interviews, was kind of a public base of the church abroad. So, um in fact, it was through him that the oldest sister, um Sarah Tell, um reached out in to to restore co- correspondence with Martha because she knew that he was in washington, d c.
0: So, tell us a little bit about the sources that you have for reconstructing these these women's uh, lives, their interrelationships with one another. Uh, how, how did you come across these, and, and what do we
1: have? Yeah. So, um, and talking about these sources, probably like, um, I mean, I don't really consider myself a historian, historian, but you know, um, original letters just like make me giddy. So I was, at, it was actually in my undergrad. Um, and it was for my capstone paper. And we went down, I think with Chris H- Chris Hodson, who's at BYU. He was the professor from a capstone. And I mean this is a long time ago. So this has been a work in progress. But um we went down to the what's it called? In the basement of the library. Archives. The archives. There's like a special name for it. I'm forgetting. Special collections. Special collections, thank you. Um and I think the librarian showed us these letters and was like, hey, no one's ever written about these. And these are pretty, pretty outstanding. And, um, you know, uh, my professor knew that I was interested in polygamy and interested in Mormon women's history. Um, so I started digging in. Um, and then I did a lot of my research, like on family search, actually, um, made some connections. I, I think I looked on Facebook for any um <laughs> So I think what I did is I looked on Family Search. On Family Search, I saw who was putting all this information in about Martha and her sisters, stalked on Facebook to find that family member, and then got even more information and um some of her, you know, her these these um these relatives um, had compiled a lot of information, had even written kind of life sketches, life histories of Martha and her sisters. Um, so there was a lot there that I got to work from
0: that's amazing and and also just a testament to the way that new technologies allow us to kind of fill in the gaps sometimes from the archives and it's cool that you were able to do that so. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about uh a little bit maybe more in depth about the emotional entanglements that these sisters have. You you kind of gave us the sketch outline that they had a falling apart and then an attempted reconciliation. What did the correspondence reveal about the nature of their disagreements and why and how they got back together?
1: Yeah. I, I love this question because I I find um, you know, the the process of Attempted re- reconciliation and then actual reconciliation with the two sisters, which is really beautiful in telling about the human experience. So, um, so like I mentioned, and and I know you know these sisters' names might be confusing to listeners. So we have the oldest sisters are Sarah and Tabitha, and then the younger sister, the Mormon polygamous uh, sister, is Martha so um sarah reaches out first so the oldest sister reaches out first and um and sarah reaches out to martha through george in washington dc um asking about the family asking about genealogy just wanting to get a little bit more information the sisters also had some brothers that um kind of seems like they were wanderers and they wanted to get you know what's the update on our brothers um but in the correspondence between um, Sarah and Martha, there was kind of this moment that I think was maybe in 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 therapy, what we would call like an attachment injury. It was just kind of this block. It was this moment when I think the pain of both sisters was just, you know, so apparent. Um, and I believe what happened is Sarah asked, you know, I think Sarah couldn't really get past, even though she was very much disagreed with Martha's lifestyle, I also think she was very curious, like, what is your life like out there? You know, um, kind of like this, don't tell me, but tell me kind of thing. Um, so she asked Martha, tell me about your life out there. And then Martha responds, and we did, we don't have that response. We We don't have that letter. So we're filling in the blanks from, you know, other letters that do exist. But what we found is that Martha probably responded with, you know, what she would probably call her testimony, right? Of this is how I live and I believe it's right and and it's divine. And and whether it kind of bordered on evangelism, like, you know, maybe Sarah was like, whoa, you do not go there. Um, or whether it was just more simple, Sarah experienced it kind of as just too much. And Sarah's response to Martha, Martha's information about her lifestyle was, was biting. I mean, it was, it was an attack. She said, um, there's lots of personal digs on, uh, on Martha's religion, on her morality. Um, and, um, after that response or after that kind of attack on Martha, Martha didn't, she didn't respond for a really long time. And eventually, those sisters tried to reconcile. Um, I think Sarah, or yes, sir, I'm mixing up the sisters. Sarah sent more letters to Martha, like, "Hey, hey, hey!" Like, let's let's still maintain correspondence, but I think for Martha it was just too painful. And so eventually, she blames, you know, not responding to Sarah on babies and housework, which you know. Um, I think we know if if it was really important to her, she probably could have made time to respond to her sister. I think it was just too much emotional pain. But, you know, upon a little bit more examination of the letter, right, we don't, we don't, attacks normally are, born like emotional attacks. So whether we're talking about these letters or we're talking about, you know, relationships with spouses or partners, attacks on other people normally are born from pain that we're feeling. Like these really core pains that that motivate us. And what the letter showed that that was for Sarah was um, so much pain in her life had come from her relationship and her family's relationship with the Latter-day Saints. And she talks about this in her letter. You know, her father was swindled, as she puts it, um, out of money, um, giving $1,000 to Joe Smith that he never intended to repay. That's what she says. Um, The death of their mother, um, of malaria, um, and then the death of her stepmother, um, also with the saints. I think for Sarah, it was just too much. And at such kind of, as I mentioned before, at such a crucial age, you know, around 12, where she's really, she's taking this all in. Um, I think that pain for her was just too much to, to overcome and especially to a sister who was probably unaware or not willing to accept that that pain could exist, that the church, you know, wasn't perfect, that everything wasn't, you know, rainbows and ponies in Nauvoo. So um, so that was the experience of of Sarah. Really, her her pain um, really manifested in, in the exchange between her and Martha. Whereas we see a really different story with Tabitha, um, whether it's because of Maybe different person, a, a set of personality traits that she inherited, um, maybe a, a willingness to, you uh, know, maybe more psychological flexibility, or because she didn't have the same trauma that her older sister had because of her age, we're able to see Tabitha, and also Tabitha's daughter Annie, kind of comes in the correspondence here as well. We're able to see them correspond with Martha in a way that acknowledges our differences, like. Yeah, you live polygamously. They know that they know that Martha is living with George even after, you know, polygamy was announced to be ended. They were probably even aware there was a point when, and I forget what year it was, when George Cannon was interviewed in DC about continued marriages in Mexico, I believe. Um, you know, even after the the manifesto had been announced. Um and the sisters were probably aware, like, oh, you know, our brother-in-law just said something really big about, you know, polygamy continuing. And still, even after that, the correspondence continues being very warm. But one difference we see in the correspondence between Tabitha, this is the second sister, younger than Sarah, and Martha, is they acknowledge Martha's pain. They acknowledge, wow, during the raids, what would it be like? To be with your children in hiding, What would it be like to be ripped away from your family? And then, when George dies, they express their condolences. What would it be like to have a life partner gone? right? and 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 their pain of losing loved ones they, they can use that to connect. And um so a very different emotional experience in these two letters of of attempted and, you know successful reconciliation
0: reading these it felt so familiar as both um you know stories about uh families who have deep religious divides right on, on the one hand some who are deeply committed to uh to, to or the religion and on the other some who are deeply angry at it for uh pains that that, uh, that that it has caused them or that they perceive that it's caused them and uh so so there was something that that felt very familiar to that. But I'm wondering for you, why do you think that historians should pay attention to stories like these? And why were you drawn to these stories as a historian? Yeah. Uh, um,
1: I was drawn to these stories. Um, right. these I just feel like letters are just um, letters that weren't meant to be read by anyone else, letters that meant were just meant from my sister's eyes only right um i just feel like they give us a level of of intimacy that we don't get from other from other records um except maybe journals but um so i think the reason i was drawn to these letters is like ooh i'm getting let in on on this relationship between sisters and and i have sisters and and there's something that's just really special about or can be really special, also can go the other way too. Relationships between sisters, kind of these feminine relationships where we talk we we talk about our experiences differently with our sisters than we do with brothers or other people. So I think that's why I was drawn to them. I think I was also drawn to them because these sisters were so different. And um, and like you mentioned, that's just kind of the reality today for, you know, whether you're both consider yourself orthodox, or or one has stayed in the church and one has left. Right there are so many differences that we can encounter. So that's why I was drawn to them, and why I think that historians need to pay attention to this. Um, I just think it gives richness. I think it gives texture, and I think when we can when we can um, read things like this and put them in the in the broader context. Right. Um, of what was going on historically, politically. I think kind of going down to the macro level, not, or opposite, going down to the micro level, not staying at the macro level, I think it can just make history feel a little bit more personal. Like it really applies to me. So it's not just I'm reading these facts and oh, this happened politically, but it's how can I see myself in this? And I think that in that way, reading, you know, um, participating in history can be kind of healing. You can maybe confront yourself in some important ways. You know, how might I be like Martha in defending the church at all costs, or how might I be like Sarah in in attacking the church or or other people's beliefs? and And my pain is getting in the way of me being able to see them it truthfully
0: thanks so much for joining us today, Bonnie. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the show to talk more about your research. We hope that our listeners have enjoyed the conversation and have learned something new about 19th century women's lives. If you'd like to learn more, please check out Bonnie Young, My Indignation Has Got the Better of My Intention, a case study in Latter-day Saint and Gentile female family correspondence in 19th century America in the summer 2023 issue of Dialogue, and explore other resources on this topic there. To our listeners, thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues, and don't forget to leave us a review or get in touch with any comments or questions. We hope that you'll tune in for future episodes of our podcast. Please subscribe and rate the show, and check out the whole range of shows in the Dialogue Podcast Network. Hello, this is Andrew Hall, host of the Dialogue Book Report. Each episode features brilliant minds from the world of Mormon publishing. One thing we like to do is instead of focusing on a single guest, we like to bring in two or more guests who are working in similar fields and put their works in conversation with each other. Recently we brought in Michael Austin and Stephen Carter, two of the leading cultural commentators of Mormonism in the 21st century and had them talk about their recent biographies of two of the great minds of the 20th century, Vardis Fisher and Virginia Sorensen. You can subscribe to all of the Dialogue Journal podcasts by going to dialoguejournal.com and check out all of our past episodes. Dialogue Podcast Network.